Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. All right, morning everyone, and um, again, uh, back to our series. We've been doing a series in the book of James, and the series is basically, uh, we've titled it Gospel Community. It's essentially saying, what would it mean, practically, what would it look like, if we, who are saved by Jesus Christ, gather together as a community? What would it look practically? So James is a very, very practical guy. He tells you as it is, you know, he says what he means, he means what he says, and he gives you loads of things. And so it's a very practical book, and so we're going to look at that as we consider, or we continue to think of ourselves, City Church, as a community where we want the gospel to be at the center. Perhaps I should speak, uh, start with this. Now, and I want us to play a little game um, to start off with, but let me set up the game uh, first. Now, um, I hope you know, and we thank all of you guys that are from different parts of the country, but this is Yoruba land, you know, just saying. Right now, one of the things you will have learned about Yoruba people is that you don't joke where Yoruba persons meet, right? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's no joke. Um, when growing up, I remember when I used to go to my aunt, my aunt would come. My mom would say, oh, should we offer you any drink? She would say something. She would say in Yoruba, so I won't say it, But she would say, my, my mom, she would say, yes, ah, bring drink. And I hope you have meat at home. Right? You, you, the ultimate insult you can give a Yoruba person in a party, if you want to know people that, that, that like you, is the number and the quality and the size of the piece of meat that they give to you. Am I, Yoruba people, am I lying? And some of you that have been here all your life that really will consider yourself a Lagosian, you know it. Oh, okay, you didn't know they were insulting you when they did that. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Size of meat. So when it comes to your bad people and meat, basically, large is good and small is bad. Now, let me give you another thing. How many people play golf here or watch golf? Yeah, exactly, just as I thought. Let me give you a bit of education. Now, the game of golf, right? Usually you have to, uh, the, the main standard is you have this whole field. It's called a course. And in that course, you have what you call 18 holes, actual holes, right? So your aim is to get the ball into the hole. You start from a place where you, it's called the tee, and the hole may be very far. Now, the whole aim is on each of those 18 holes, how, with, um, how quickly can I get the ball into the hole? That is, you want to take as few number of shots as possible. You hit it from the tee, you go there, you hit it again, you go there. So normally, there will be a standard that is set. So let's say for the 18 holes, they've set a standard 72 shots. If you make all the shots that you make and you put it inside all the 18 holes, and it totals 17, you have basically hit, your, your mark is you have broken even, zero. But if you hit, if you did it over 71 shots, what do you have? Minus one. If you did it with 75 shots, you'll be what? Plus three. In other words, but the person who has minus one and the person who has plus three, who has done it better? Minus one. You see, you understand golf now already. In the game of golf, 
Small is good and large is what? Bad. So now let's play the game. I'm going to ask you a number. I'll just say a number of things. I want you to tell me which one is good. So if I tell you the thing I think this is good, just say, if you think small is good, just say small. If you think large is good, just say large. Do you understand? Right? So if I was to say Yoruba people are meat, if I say, you say large. If I was to say golf, you say small. All right. Bonus airtime. Wow. I moved the wrong belly. Um, energy bills. Small. Traffic. Small. IQ test score. Annual leave. It would not say anything. It wouldn't say anything. Or you could, all the employers in the house were just. <laughs> public holiday. She still didn't say anything again. One more. Church size. Exactly. Okay. All the city church staff said. Large, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, because they think that as the church grows, then their salary goes. It's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that. Well, but you could see it was a bit mixed. And really, I think it depends on what you're looking for in the church. If you're the kind of person that you feel that as a church, we need to achieve, we need to go out, we need to make an impact. In other words, if your bent is towards being missional, you probably would have said large. Why? Because then you're able to pull resources together, both human, financial, and spiritual resources, and we can achieve something. But if your bent is towards community, chances are you think that small is good and large is bad. Because the smaller we are, we get to know each other, and then we can have more community. Now, can I challenge that a little bit? Based on both the Bible and experience. Experience. I have been, in my time, part of, uh, at least in my time in the church, which is a, a fair number of years, I have been majorly part of small churches. I've been part of some large churches, too, but I've been majorly part of some small churches. And you know what I found? I found less loving community in small churches. I'm not saying that is exactly what you will get, but I'm saying that's what I found. And when you read the Bible, do you remember how the early church started? When the early church started, it said in Peter's first sermon, Peter's first sermon, how many people were converted? Do you remember? 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2. In fact, by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, it says, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men, just the men, no. the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. But here was the testimony about both when there were 3,000 and when there were 4,000. This was the testimony about the church. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart. That's when there were 3,000 men. When there were 5,000 men, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. What we hear is testimony about their togetherness and their oneness. In other words, when it comes to community, it's not necessarily the case that small is good and large is bad. What is most important is what happens when they are together. I said the believers were together. Now, Emmanuel showed us last week that 
what James wants us to do is to be peacemaking when we are together, peacemakers. In fact, the last verse of chapter 3 ends this way. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. But there's another one you can find, and it's part of what Olumide read today. That the alternative to peacemakers is fights and quarrels. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Verse 1. Now, there's good reason to believe that the church that James was, the churches, churches that James was writing to were not very, very large churches. And yet they said there were fights and quarrels among them. Put it another way. If people were to join our community, would they find grace instead of slander, as you see in verse 11? Because the true community, as James will show us today, is to be a gracious community. Now, how can this be achieved? Especially when the history of the church shows constant quarreling, fighting, and dividing. How can this be achieved? Well, the answer is to fight. Now, we'll understand better what I mean if we consider these three points. A gracious community, and there are the three points. The fight in community, the fight of community, and the fight for community. Fight in, fight of, and the fight for. So let us start. First one, the fight in community. Now, just as I alluded to, you don't have to be in the church too long before you notice Fight and quarrels. Did you see? Did you see what happened to uh, Temu Dayo and uh, Hanatu? And it was. It went down. You either notice it or you have had your own first fight and quarrel. Can I get a witness? Uh, <laughs> I counsel two of you. Remember? <laughs> I know. I remember when City just started. You know, in the very beginning. You know, at that point, we weren't even doing. It wasn't Sunday. It was Saturdays. It was so nice. We were few. You know, we had everything in common. We loved each other. It was all so rosy. You know, until someone came to meet me and said, ah, ah, I think that guy is really full of himself. Or oh, she's too forward. At least at that point, they were talking to me. Until they let those individuals know, you are too forward. Ah, ah, is it only you? <laughs> We've done passive-aggressive. I'm not talking to you. She just doesn't talk. Have you noticed the way she looks at me? I noticed. She looked at the Emmy nice. Then when he came to me, she looked one way. We've done that one, and we've actually done actual aggressive. You don't have to wait too long. Some people do their, their aggressiveness through WhatsApp. But I'm not going to ask for a witness. <laughs> See, this thing has been happening. What we read here is that when James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It's not new in the church. That's over 2,000 years ago. Now, James is taking it as fact. What he is most concerned about is the cause of the fight and quarrels. Notice again in verse 1, what causes fight and quarrels among you? And James tells us that his desires. Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? That is, there's a motivation that then leads to the act. That's why he can say, look, you have this desire but do not have it. You can't fulfill the desire, so what do you do? You kill. Or you covet again in your heart. You don't get what you want, so what do you do? You quarrel and you fight. That is, the de evil desires and the covetousness eventually lead to actions that bring about disunity. 
the expression of this thing is something, and this is the real enemy of community. Don't forget this word. Write it down. It is something called individualism. Individualism. What do I mean by that? Notice that self-concern is solely at the center of all of these issues. He says, you desire, but you don't have. You are not, you are not, it's not about what the other person can get. It is you. I didn't have. And then that led to verbal murder. Or you, uh, you, you coveted, but you cannot get what you want. And so what happens? In quarreling and fighting. It's even so bad that, okay, you say quarreling and fighting, those ones are bad. We know that the Bible says we shouldn't quarrel and fight. But at least the Bible says we should pray. And anybody that is praying, the person is always, is always doing something that is good. All my enemies, Lord, kill them. Just kill them. No mercy. Because they are your, what, enemies. Or, ah, God, I thank you that you gave me this car this month. I thank you. But your word says, and it was a nice Toyota Camry, but your word says that I am meant to go from one glory, one, one place of glory, what? I should, be continue to, I should continue to ascend. So Lord, I ask, I pray, I decree and declare. Camry is for March. Mercedes-Benz E-Class is for April. G-Wagon is for September. You see, amen. None of you, you're not, take, you're not dec- taking the declaration. Lord, I thank you. Finally, after eight years of being refused the visa, they gave me finally. And I'm traveling next year. Amen. And Lord, so next year come. Ah! The land of Wimbo is sweet, God. Oh, I think it's a problem that I cannot go every single year. And since I must be going from one degree of glory to another, Lord, I declare, I declare and decree from now on. Mine is to be going every year to the abroad. <laughs> Two years come after you've been going to the abroad. And I say, ah, God. Wow. That person that is in business class, does he have two heads? I feel oppressed. <laughs> when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, the Greek word that is used for desires in verse 1, and that word in verse 3 that is pleasures, the Greek word there is called hedone, from where we get the word hedonism. Now, what is hedonism? Hedonism is a lifestyle of selfish indulgence. There are some people who believe that life I have worked hard, I have done this. So life, I'm not saying that, please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you can't have good things in life, no. But a lifestyle of pleasuring myself. That is a lifestyle of giving to myself because myself has got all these things for me. James says, if you have that kind of attitude, it will destroy community. You can't live in community that way. That Putting you at the center is going to make you keep quarreling with people because they are not doing the things you want them to do, or it's going to make you keep giving to yourself when there are others that should have needs. And he said there is a problem with that. You as the center destroys community. In fact, that's the reason why there's a contradiction in it. On the one hand, 
You call them brothers and sisters in verse 11. Brothers and sisters, and yet you are slandering them. Brothers and sisters? Brothers and sisters, and at the same time, you sit in judgment over them. Judgmentalism, not that you can't judge because there's a place we have to judge. But judgmentalism, you judge them in a way that only God should judge. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges then speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not give, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This tells us in chapter 2, the royal law, the sum of the whole law is to love your neighbor as yourself. This your neighbor is your brother and sister, you call them, but at the same time, what do you do? You hate them. You judge them. How do you think a community can flourish with this kind of thinking, with you at the center? But James even says, look, this thing is even worse. It's a bigger problem. That is, what it reflects is a bigger problem than you think. You may just think, well, you know, that's the kind of person I am. I, of course, I can get better. Of course, you know. Yeah, but everybody always looks after themselves. But, you know, no, James says you have a bigger problem with individualism. Because individualism puts you in opposition with God. Why? Because those who practice it have become friends with the world and they are idolatrous, uh, adulterous people. When he says they are friends with the world, that means they have embraced a worldly kind of thinking. And individualism basically is a worldly kind of thinking. You at the center is not godly. So he says... You adulterous people. Say, eh, maybe I've never committed adultery in my life now. You know, I've been faithful to my wife. I've been faithful to my husband. I've never, so this, this isn't talking about me. But when he's speaking about adulterous people, he's not talking about whether or not you committed adultery against your spouse. No. Quite often, as well in the Old Testament. Now, remember in Abiasis, the last one, we read the book of Hosea. And if you read the book of Hosea, you will really understand this. In fact, let me even, maybe just in, in James chapter, uh, in James here, he, he, he helps us with something. Verse 5, he says, Do you think the scripture which says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he calls to dwell in us? Now, you have to tie those two things together. You will understand the adultery when you see this quotation here about he jealously longs for the spirit he calls to dwell in us. I remember a periphery years ago said, when she stopped believing in the Christian God, when she found out that it was a jealous God. I mean, you know we serve a jealous God. Is it good to be jealous? Huh? Again, jealousy is a word that actually has a broad range. You can have a positive part of jealousy and a negative part. The, positive, the negative part of jealousy is what we call envy. Right? You covet someone's thing, and because you can't get it, you start to envy the person. That's negative jealousy. But there's a positive jealousy. Israel were God's own people. He brought them out of Egypt, and he covenanted them to himself. They agreed. They were his treasured possession above the people of the world. And so now they're in a covenant relationship. What allows that relationship to go on? Faithfulness from both people. God had been faithful to them. They had wondered. They had done many things. He had been faithful to them, but they were not always faithful. How were they going to be unfaithful? How was it that this relationship, seen almost like a marriage, is going to be seemed to be adulterous. What was their own part? Well, he was to be a God to them, provide for them. 
you know, give them the sacrifice, the, the whole temple structure system that keeps them clean. But what were they meant to do? They were not to serve any other gods. So when they started to serve another god, they became adulterers. Hosea 3 verse 1. And the, Lord, uh, and the Lord said to me, go again. Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves his children Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Do you see the point? When Israel started serving other gods, they were breaking, they were unfaithful to the covenant, and so they became an adulterous people. And so God is saying here, as James, through the mouth of James, when you put yourself as the center of your life, which then expresses itself in this individualism that causes quarrels and fights, that makes these kinds of preposterous prayers that only puts you at the center, you're an adulterer. No other way of putting it. Why does he call you an adulterer? Because you set up another God. Who is the God? The self. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, you say, well, ah, I don't worship Shango. I don't, yeah, but what about yourself? He says, this kind of way of thinking eventually is bad on its own, but we see the way or it proves itself to be horrible. Why? Because it destroys, it brings fightings and quarrels among the people of God. It sets up another God, and it is the very heart of pride. What is the heart of pride? Self-love and self-concern. And don't get me wrong. What is, we won't find is the Bible um, espousing self-hatred. But when you have yourself as the center, you have just made yourself a God, and it turns... The expression of that, this individualism, brings about the destruction of community and so that community is not a place for growth, mutual edification and peace making, but one of fights and quarrels. So if we have that, what do you do? Well, some of us will say this. You see why I don't like this whole community discussion? Do you see why I don't? I don't. I don't. I don't eh? This is why. James has said it. You have said it. Look at it. When you start getting close to people, that's when you start fighting with people. So me, look at my actions when it comes to church is fivefold. Very simple. On Sunday, I come, worship, listen, pray, smile, go. Simple. With that, if everybody did that, would that not be a recipe for peace? No, it would be a recipe for silence, but not peace. Notice James says that those who are peacemakers sow peace. Peace is not something that we, it's not, you don't do peace like you do um, refrigeration. Refrigeration, you suck out the heat and then there's cold there. Darkness, uh, light, uh, darkness, how do you get darkness? You turn off the light and then you get darkness. So you don't make darkness, neither do you make uh, uh, the cooling. You just remove something that is there. It's the absence of what is in there that enables some other thing. That's not. Peace is something you make. Peace is made out of the chaos that could bring about the fight and quarrel. So when you avoid, you have not made peace, you've just brought in silence. You've not created community. You've just created a gathering of individualistic people. Now, don't get me wrong, because some will say, eh, okay, 
Sometimes I see fighting in a place. I just leave. I just leave. I don't. If they, if these people want to shoot each other and whatever, I'm not going to be part of that because you know crossfires. You can be hit. You know you don't want that. Now, let me say two other problems. First of all, it is true. It is true. Some environments are too toxic to remain in. Now, but assuming that you find a church, a church with good enough solid biblical foundations, orthodox things that people have always believed. And that church happens to have a number of, let's just call them funny people, right? This is a sermon, so I can't call them what you like to call them. Let's just say funny people. The church has good beliefs. Some of the people are a bit, uh, you know, they like to show themselves too much. If you always avoid, aren't you going against the commandment of God that says we are, look, we are built to commune. We are not just built to consume. But here's the bigger problem. If you are the kind of person that runs away and just doubles in into the community, just enough so that the moment you see that the fight may even come like this, if you are that kind of person, your avoidance is still an expression of individualism. Notice, you are not prepared to lose any relational comfort. You don't want to pay the sacrifice of listening to other points of views, or perhaps be corrected, or perhaps work at being able to correct other people in love, while others in, in, their, individualism, in their individualism are about self-expression you know, until they hear my point of view, I have to speak the truth. Whilst others are about self-expression, you are about self-preservation. Both of them are individualism. They're just expressed in two different ways. Some people are able to speak. They just talk. Once they don't have something they don't like, they are calling it, and yes, it brings about fights and quarrels. But you, by running away, you are trying to preserve your own self. You are trying to ensure that nothing happens. You are about self-preservation. The self is still at the center. Peacemakers don't avoid. They make peace. We are to make peace out of the fights and quarrels by engaging each other. How? In fighting. Leads me to my second point. Ah, I thought we just said no fighting. No, there's fighting. Now go to verse 4 and verse 6 again. It says, but he gives more grace. Ah, God gives grace. This is God's response to this worldliness, this self-centeredness that destroys community. He gives grace. Wow. What does he mean by that? And I'll come back to it later in the third point. But, but it's something. God grants the ability to meet the requirements that his jealousy demands on us. God says, I want you to be mine. And I want you to act faithfully. And part of that is living in community. But you say, but look at all the problems that is there. He said, look, with those problems, I give you grace. I give you the ability to meet that thing. See, no, you don't understand those people, and you don't understand me. If I start going there, people are isolated from me. He says, look, if you will obey my command, I give you what? Grace. Whenever we run away or whenever we don't participate in it, we are actually saying we question God's ability to help us to do that which he has commanded us to do. It's a sign of unbelief. Now, if God gives grace, he gives it to certain individuals. Do you know who he gives them to? He gives it to the humble. Notice what he says. 
He shows favor to the humble. This is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. What is humility? Humility is self-awareness that leads to other-centeredness. Individualism wants to keep you self-centered. Humility is you know yourself, and because you know yourself, there's an examination, I'll get to it, an examination of yourself that eventually leads you to be thinking about others more than yourself. What is the commandment? Love your neighbor as what? Even the first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, is to love God and is to love neighbor. You are thinking about others. God gives grace to those who are humble. Who are those who are humble? They are the ones who, because of an awareness of who they are, I'll get to that, they think about others more. Now, this is going to require a fight. There's a fight for humility. And we're seeing, we'll see that fight in verses 7 to 10. Now, I said this during the Sermon on the Mount, but there's something, a literary device that you often see in the Bible. What would happen is, in a section of the text, he will say one thing at the beginning. Then, at the end of that section, he will say the same thing. What does that mean? What is in between explains what was at the beginning and at the end. It's called an inclusio, right? So, look at verse 7. How does it start? Submit, remember he says in, at the end of verse 6, show, he shows favor to the humble. So then he now says, submit yourselves, what? To God. Submission is an act of humility. Look at the end, verse 10. Humble yourselves, what? Before the Lord. So submit yourselves and humble yourselves. In other words, he's showing us what is going to be in between that is going to explain how we can show humility. Do we understand that? So, there are three things I want us to see there. There are three fights that you must fight for in order to get to, be, to become more humble. The first one, uh, first, uh, so three of them is the fight against temptation, the fight against self-sufficiency, and the fight against self-diversion. The fight against temptation, self-sufficiency, and self-diversion. First one, verse 7b. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ah, now, so, uh, okay. Devil will resist you. The Lord rebuke you. There are many people, as they are saying it, the devil is, is so working in their mind, you know, because one sister will come in like, hey, Satan, I rebuke you. Hey, the loss that is inside your heart, as you are rebuking, the guy is still working. Still, you are rebuking her, but the thing is working in your it's not by It's not by saying, Satan, I resist you. No, that's not how. If you remember in chapter 1 of James, when he was talking about, he says, whenever you are tempted, don't say you are tempted what? By the Lord. You are tempted by something that is inside, but temptation comes from outside and meets what's on the inside. Do you understand? The embodiment of that temptation and evil from the outside, the thing that plants, that whispers into our ears, the embodiment of that thing, the personal embodiment of that thing is, or the leader is the devil, Satan. He is the one that sows these things. He's God's arch enemy. He's the enemy of the church. From beginning to the end, God's Old Testament people and God's New Testament people, he has had one motive, and that is to do what? To destroy them. So whenever you see rumblings in communities, division in a church of God, the devil has always used two tactics. One, to destruction from outside, persecution and all those things, but he also brings destruction from inside. He is the enemy from the outside that wants to bring this. So 
That's why we're called to resist him. You know what he wants to do? He will feed our individualism with lies. Some of those lies are, Yobo and Itunu were practicing in, um, for, they were doing rehearsal. And Yobo said, Yobo had a bad day before he came. He had a bad day before he came. There were problems on the way, and somebody annoyed him at home. And so Ibukun sang off key in a certain way, and Yobo kind of snapped a little bit. He snapped a little bit. Wrong for him to snap. But what then happened was Itunu took that snapping, and then she connected it to like five other perceivable things that she felt Yobo has done. So for instance, last week, Itunu put her bag on the floor. Yobo was coming. As Yobo was coming, his leg hit the bag. Ah, that guy snapped. And then his leg hit the bag. Huh. Okay. Then, the other time, in about three minutes ago, I called Yobo. Yobo answered. We quickly discussed something. Then, Femi, the other Femi, Itunu's husband, he was going somewhere and he called Yobo. And Yobo did not answer. Ah, there's a pattern here. And then, one more, by mistake. This was clearly by mistake. This was like last year. <laughs> Itunu had come, Yobo was parking. And because he was very tight in the corner, as Yobo was trying to press reverse to Kine, he mistakenly put the car to drive. Not reverse. You know what you put that length only with? Before, we, I'm not going to get into clutch and all of those things. This new easy way to drive is very simple. He was meant to put it in reverse, but he went to put it in drive. Itunu was in front of him. So Yobo, in trying to park well, he now went and hit Itunu's car. So when Yobo snapped at Itunu that point, oops. When Yobo snapped at Itunu at that point, she put all of those three things together. Say, no, we just, just, just hold it there. Don't allow it to start. It is not today. You have been doing it. And then, then uh, Gloria is like, it, no, no, hold on. No, it's not about that. You can't talk to me like that. That's how you did it for my husband. That's it. Resist what? The devil. <laughs> Your boy is, is a careless walker. He doesn't look where he's going. That's why he hit the bag. That's why he hit the bag. When he put it in drive, Yobo had just only learned how to drive two weeks ago. And when Femi was talking, when Femi called Yobo, Itunu was there, Femi was there, Yobo was here, and the music was playing. But the devil from the outside is going to take many different things and he will put it together and he will say, this person can, and that's what leads to fight and quarrels. Resist what? The devil. Part of it is also gossiping. What is gossiping? Gossiping is speaking bad about others while they are not there without any intention of helping out, praying, or speaking in love with them. The book of Proverbs says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. You know? Fire will go out when there's no wood. And when there is no whisperer or no gossip, quarreling what? Ceases. You are, there's quarrels. It's because some people have been 
Now, I'm not saying that sometimes there's no need to talk about other people while they're not there. The issue is this. When you've spoken about them, is there any intention to correct? Is there any intention to pray about it? Is there any intention to address it? Or you just, that's how she is. That's how you just, that, come, 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 let me tell you something about it. These things destroy community. It is the devil. How do you resist them? When you feel these urges coming, pray against it. Pray against it. Pray against that thing working your soul. Resist it. When somebody wants to give you tittle tattoo, I often, everybody knows, uh, staff and Kennedy, they come and tell me, there are people in this church that are saying, I say, wait, let's stop there. If you're not prepared to tell me who is the person, I don't want to hear it. There are people, there are people. The people, are, the people can come and meet me, and we can talk about the thing. But when you start doing these things, these are the things that divide community. Resist what? The devil. Let me move on. Fight against self-sufficiency, verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify yourselves, you double-minded. You see, poorly managed success is not good. Some of us here, God, thank God we have been successful. God has blessed us in some ways. But when your success is not managed properly, it can be a bad thing because you start to think, my own hands have what? Made this for me. So you start to think, I don't need anybody. I don't need anyone. So being in community, all these things, it presumes that I need somebody for something. It presumes that I lack something. Well, first of all, if you don't think that you lack something, then you have a problem. Because you are saying that God has ordered the growth of our, our growth, our spiritual maturity. He's ordered it in a way that, you know, God meant it for them, but he didn't really mean it for me. You see, your metaphoric hands are, are become clean in your own eyes. Your heart, you start thinking they are pure. It's always that person. It's the one, they are the ones that sin. It has nothing to do with me. So instead of drawing near to God and to God's people, do you know what we do? We draw near to ourselves. And James says, no. Accept who you truly are. If you accept who you are, that is... You are part of the reason why the community doesn't actually grow. Some of your avoidance and some of your over-self-expression. If you draw near to God in humility, repentance, owning your sin, do you know what happens? He gives you grace by doing what? By drawing near to you. And many times he does that drawing near to you through his people in community. One more. Fight against self-diversion. What do I mean by self-diversion? Or escapism, or you know, there's a movie, new movie, Adam Sandler, Chris Rock. They've done another, yet another movie again together. Now this one, I can't remember. It had something to do with in-laws and whatever, but that's not where I'm going. They they went to throw a party, and to throw the party there was a hotel, and that hotel was managed by an Indian manager. Now forget the Indian manager. We know some of these people. Have you ever met anyone where no matter what they do, well, no matter what is going on, they're always smiling? You know, like, what happened? You people didn't, you didn't, I, I bought this thing, you didn't give me, don't worry, sir, we'll make sure it's fine. Why are you laughing? Don't worry, I'm, it's fine, sir, we'll fix it. So this Indian man, they'll come and say, look, this thing wasn't there. Don't worry, we'll fix it. <laughs> There's water leaking in my roof. Don't worry, it's fine. So they now come to the stage of the party. At this point now, in the hall, the water is, like, it is pouring. They call the guy, he's still laughing. Then eventually, Somehow, by mistake, somebody now set fire on the whole place. So people were running. And they were like, what is happening? And he's like, 
you still laughing? And the guy shout, why are you laughing? And the man starts crying. <laughs> what does he use the laughter to do? The laughter is a way of him not accepting reality. He diverts the issue that is here before him. He doesn't want to take it seriously. So by laughing, he makes it seem as though it's okay. When we go for comedy shows, sometimes we have deep problems in our marriages, deep problems in our lives. We laugh, but when you laugh and you leave the show, what happens to your problems? They are still there. And so here also, Grieve, mourn, will. Change your laughter to mourning. This is not the time to laugh. Change your joy to gloom. The problem we have to fight, sometimes we are the people, I've met so many of, some of us here, I would say, unfortunately. A problem comes. Rather than face the problem, you kick the can down the road. You have disappointed someone. Rather than call that person and say, I've disappointed, this is what's happened, you now don't take the person's calls. You don't want to meet with people. You don't want to face it. Why? Diversion. Because somehow, if I don't think about it, it will go away. And many times also, uh, we don't want to come to terms with who we truly are. Whereas humility is about self-awareness. And when I mean self-awareness, I'm not talking about your strengths. Are you aware with your own, about your own weaknesses? Are you aware that often people try to talk to you and you don't listen? Are you aware that you are a perfectionist? And please, if you think perfectionism is a good thing, it's not. You can want to crave excellence. That's one thing. Perfectionism says, the problem with perfectionism is you crave excellence, but you feel that you are excellent in every way. You are not. And people like that become too hard. Have you seen that you are too doctrinaire? You have no patience with people. It took you two years to understand a particular thing, but you think that because you are the one explaining it, people should know it in two days. Have you come to an awareness of yourself or you are diverting it with other kinds of thinking? When you do that, believe me, you are still working in individualism. Whereas Jesus, the brother of James says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So you see, these are the fight. We have to fight to be humble. It's a fight. You have to resist this thing, resist the devil, but also resist this stuff so that you can receive the grace of God. Final point. And it comes back, I want to go back, because the heart of the whole book of James, the heart of the whole book of James is in verse 6. Because it says something, yes, the whole community and all of those things, the actions, but this is where the power is. But he gives more grace. I find this thing very, in light of everything that James has said, I find it very difficult to understand. It, it actually almost does not make logical sense, literal logical sense in the way James has been going. Because he says, all of these horrible things about, of what these people are doing. And yet he then says, but he gives more what? Grace. How many of us will give grace to a cheating spouse? Because that's what he comes after. You adulterous people. He causes, he, 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 uh, is it without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that has caused to dwell in us? He gave us that spirit and yet we are chasing after things. But... He gives more grace. Isn't God the law giver and the judge? And if he's the law giver and the judge, our quarreling and fighting, 
and violation of the law. Doesn't that make us ripe for judgment? But he gives more grace. Should he not condemn those who, through their slander and judgmentalism, destroy the community of God's people? But he gives more what? Grace. He's got a corrupt judge. How should we get grace in place of judgment? It takes another fight. What's the fight? It was the fight between Jesus and the devil. You see, from the very beginning of Jesus' birth, the devil was after him. You know, there was a census, and Herod knew that the Messiah was probably meant to be born. So what did he do? He asked for the slaughtering of all of the firstborn in those places. So Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt. And then, much more, in fact, much more um, explicitly, when Jesus was about to start his ministry, after his fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he went into the wilderness and to be tempted by who? The devil. So he opposed him. Now, after he left him, all the times you see opposition by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, where it says that they tried to kill him, but they couldn't. Who do you think was working behind all of that? The devil. Now, at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, he kept responding to the devil with the word of God. It says the devil left him. So Jesus did what? He resisted the devil, didn't he? This same Jesus, we are told that he lived as a humble servant. He was humble. He served his father without any kind of double-mindedness, unlike the people here. This Jesus, unlike people here, had clean hands and he had a what? Pure heart. He had a clean heart, pure heart. He served God with double-mindedness. He was humble, without double-mindedness, and he was humble. And he resisted the devil. So if he resisted the devil, the devil is not meant to come back. The devil got him. He eventually got him by shaming him and putting him on a cross. And you think, okay, if the devil got him, at least this God that he humbled himself in serving and doing all of those things. Since if you draw near to God, he will what? Draw near to you. So Jesus was on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God draw near to him to save him? Oh, you see what happened? This lawgiver and judge, the lawgiver and judge who alone is meant to, can destroy, he destroyed Jesus on the cross. Why? On the cross, Jesus' own laughter was turned into mourning. His own joy was turned into gloom. Why? So that he could give grace. This was the means through which God now gave his grace. The contradiction then becomes solved. Because there was a contradictory thing happening to Jesus Christ so that a contradictory thing could happen to those who bring about quarreling and fighting. Our roles were reversed. So that God could give us grace. Now, we see, but the story didn't end there. Because that devil that thought he had gotten him, three days later, Jesus Christ rose again. Three days later, his mourning was now turned to laughter, and his gloom was now turned to joy. So that Jesus Christ can live forever to now dispense the grace of God that can enable his community to then flourish and work together. And now, if you are here, Jesus offers that grace to you on only one condition. 
Will you be humble to receive it? Will you accept the issues of your heart? Not to divert yourself away from it. Not to allow the enemy's seeds to actually sow. Will you accept that? That's the humility that is needed. For some of us here, it means actually really coming to faith for the first time and becoming a Christian. For others of here, us here, it means really accepting God's community as something that you should be participatory in. You see, at City Church, we don't want people that are just saved, sit down and go, because that's not the plan of God. We want you to be a member of a community where we can give grace to each other. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. This is a community that was formed by grace. Shouldn't the members be gracious to one another? You see, there's a difference between individualism and individuality. God doesn't call us to lose our individuality by joining community. But no, when you receive God's grace and you think about the gospel and what it has done to you, community is all about us expressing our individuality in a way that makes it work for each other. Ituno brings what Ituno has. Gloria brings what, uh, what she has. Moses brings what he has, but which each of us don't have. And we give to one another. Will there be issues? Will there be tensions? You bet. But because we know that we're people under grace, we look for a gracious way to solve those issues. It doesn't mean that we lie about the issues that we face. The truth. We speak the truth, but we speak the truth how? In love. Guys, we need to humble ourselves and think of others more than ourselves. Because a true community will be a community of gracious speech, gracious prayer, gracious patience, gracious repentance. It's a community of one. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.